0: Hi everyone, welcome to the first full episode of Slow Stories. Before we dive into our first interview, we're going to begin the episode by sharing a story submitted from a member of our community. This is actually something we're going to do to start each episode moving forward. And these contributor stories range from articles, interviews, or something they've stumbled upon that's ultimately inspired them to slow down. Our first opening story is from Laura Choi, the LA designer behind the beautiful resort brand, Par and Par. Now, hear from Laura, who shares how a story she found on the New York Times inspired a trip that ultimately
1: forced her to slow down and unplug. Hi, this is Laura Choi of Par and Par. One time I was really inspired to slow down was when I'd been living in New York for eight or nine years and had just left an amazing corporate job. Um, I felt so much inertia at the time from the city and this job. Uh, so I really sought out this idea of coming to a complete standstill before starting something new. So I went online, did some research, and came across an artist, Andrea Zatel, who had just finished creating these experimental living cabins out in the middle of the desert. Um, I shipped out for a week by myself and lived through this live thought experiment on minimalism. You know, what did we really need to not only survive, but thrive creatively? Uh, there was no running water, electricity, and thanks to a broken solar phone charger, no cell phone. Um, inside the cabin, every single item had a purpose. One modular furniture piece designed by Zetel served as my bed, the dining table, and the living room. Milk crates served as bookcases and coffee tables. And bowls served as bowls, cups, and plates. Um, And throughout all of this, it didn't feel scrappy at all. In fact, it was really, really beautiful. Um, And I spent the days reading, writing, hiking. Instead of scrolling on Instagram, I would sit and see the sky change before my eyes every morning and night. Um, and this experience just brought a whole new meaning to intentional design for me Uh, intentional designs of not only objects but uh, ways of living and looking back it was really thanks to taking the time to truly slow down and unplug
0: we hope you enjoyed that soundbite from laura and the link to the story she referenced can be found in the description of this episode. Now, onto our interview with Gretchen Jones. Gretchen Jones is someone of integrity and intention. Throughout her career in fashion, Gretchen has found herself dipping into every facet of the business, from the design room to the boardroom, and perhaps most notably, in the spotlight as the season 8 winner of the hit TV show, Project Runway. This wild, transformative experience ultimately led Gretchen on a path to renewed self-discovery. And coupling this with her lifelong appreciation for creativity and holistic sustainability, Gretchen has since shifted away from designing products over the past few years, and instead is now engaging in what she calls critical conversations. Gretchen's story is truly inspiring, but the best thing about it is that it is still unfolding right before our eyes. I couldn't think of a better way to kick off this series than by sitting down with the conscious creative who shared more about her experiences and why she thinks slowing down is necessary for big picture and long-term success. So without further delay, here's my conversation with the inimitable Gretchen Jones.
2: I, when I was um, even just a couple years younger, I thought that my path was a weakness and now I see it way more as a strength because um, I'm like kind of embodying the word irreverent as like a power word right now. My husband told me that I've, I live a irreverent life and I was like, what does that mean What does that mean? Yeah. Or like, how dare you? And he was like, no, that's a good thing. You break the rules and you do it your way and you challenge things. So, um when I was a teenager, I like very was very convicted and knew that I wanted to be in fashion. I grew up early in Colorado, so when you say that to your parents, they kind of think it's home ec, <laughs> especially at the time I'm gonna be thirty seven at the end of this year. So in the mid nineties, that was like when the style channel was like just on satellite TV and Vogue was, I'd say more impactful in the fashion industry outside of just the industry. Like that was what fashion was. So my first like foray was like getting to see style, the style channel when like they would show runways but it was all in French. Like they weren't even translating things. And I was like, oh my God, that's the world I wanna be in. But I didn't really know how to get into it from a town of four hundred in rural Colorado. So like try like the idea of doing like the felicity. Do you know that TV show? You might be just young enough where you do you know of it. I know of it, but I can't speak to it. Probably. So in the nineties there were tons of TV shows where they were like coming of age where like you had to go to New York. Like that's where you went to like go find yourself and all of this this very manufactured interpretations of what it meant to like grow up, Mm. but I loved it. And I knew that I really wanted to get here, but because I grew up in such a small town, I just couldn't like apply to FIT and do it. I I didn't lock my doors. I didn't know how to engage with society really. Um, And so really my upbringing basically informed my path because there was, I just wasn't equipped emotionally To be able to like come and be an urban girl. So, because of that, I went to college in Colorado doing what I was supposed to do when I knew I wanted to be in fashion. And I ended up quitting um, school. So, I'm actually a college dropout. um, Same. Yes. (laughs) You know, some of the biggest like movers and shakers in the world are dropouts. Yeah. Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. School of life. School of life. Totally. So I realized really quickly that um, I learn better through experience rather than the classroom, or I did at that point in my life. And there's times when formal education works for me and other times it doesn't. So Mm -hmm. Colorado, between like 19 and 24, um, I just stayed in Boulder. I was a CU Boulder dropout and I started working at Buffalo Exchange that was like my first foray into being able to like self-express and it was a, a elevated step up from like thrift store fashion.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And in the late 90s, early 2000s, that was like a really big, important access point. I grew into being a GM for them. So I realized really quickly that I had leadership skills and that like I had the drive if I wanted to. <clears throat> so I was trying to figure out what to do applied to Parsons and FIT and Otis and like was thinking of going back and doing the real thing. And I got into everywhere, but then I started looking at the numbers and fashion school is fucking expensive. Is cursing okay on this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's so fucking expensive to go (laughs) to school for fashion, for any art. Like I find it really perplexing how much the American culture, um, Makes it an elitist experience to be a creative professional when you look at it from an academic perspective. And when I looked at the numbers, I just was like, I can't do just this. It. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I know I'm talented. Um, and you, can- school doesn't teach you talent. It can teach you skill sets. And sometimes I regret not learning the technical craft of design. I maybe would still be a designer if if I went that route. But I also didn't go that route, so that's right. not my route. um so when I was realizing I needed that I was growing out of what Colorado had to offer me I started looking around in the at what communities around the um, country that were more like second tier cities had burgeoning fashion communities that were more independently minded and sustainably minded um and I just always organically was very connected to the idea that your choices your choices matter and um and it's one thing to think, to want to make pretty clothes. Sorry, everybody, you're definitely going to hear my beaded curtains. <laughs> um, it's one thing to want to make beautiful things. It's another to hold yourself accountable for how you make them. Um, and and you're going to hear my dog. He's no, Leland. <laughs> um, so I started looking around in Portland, Oregon was really booming in the maker and craft movement in the mid 2000s it there was a store called seaplane have you ever heard of seaplane i can't actually no i can't say so it was like late nineties, early 2000s exclusive to portland um but portland really had like a really hot shit fashion scene going on in the like slow eco um localized fashion world and for somebody that doesn't come from, um, a privileged background. I mean, that's relative, but like, I didn't have the money to go to school. I didn't have money to like internship and not get paid. So when I started designing, it was very much like in my house. I I kind Um, of like, I did it the bootstrap way and And there was a point when I realized that, like, I didn't really want to, like, my thing wasn't staying the course on a I make the clothes side of things. And I wanted to be, my aspirations were bigger and I was, like, kind of growing out of Portland. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to figure out what I needed to do to get exposed in a way um, to um, stores and to publications that was outside of, like, the indie craft scene. Um, which now I don't think we think about craft the same way, but at the time there was definitely like a stereotype of you were either like a wholesale designer who was actually making a go of it, or you were a regional designer who was serving your community. And I, I wanted to be more than that. So I was kind of like at a breaking point. I had some, um, stores that were carrying me. I couldn't afford the production costs. So I was like getting more orders than I could fulfill And I felt like I needed to do something extreme. And um, Project Runway had its sights on Portland for a really long time because of the indie scene that was there. And I multiple times saw that, like, for five or six years, they would, like, do a kind of a call out to the Portland designers. We were all on their radar. And I never really wanted to do it. And then my last year, I was, like, going to go bankrupt. I had, like, too many orders. um, Couldn't fulfill them. Also couldn't... Um, afford to go to the next trade show and was like I have to do something crazy and a couple of my retailers that weren't even based in um, Portland got got uh, contacted by the show and asked who do you think really needs this um, and the next day, like I had like a come to Jesus moment where I was like, I either have to shit or get off the pot. I either have to like, maybe go work for people and realize that, um, my aspirations as an eponymous designer are done because I just don't have the financial backing to do it. Or I, something has to happen. And the next day project runway and like three or four different, um, stores reached out and said, you really need to do this. So I did that. (laughs) It was an experience, an experience um, that still haunts me. It's been eight years. So I'm kind of at a point now where I feel like I really am ready to shed that skin. But that will haunt me for the rest of my life. I don't think people think about that when you do things. There's always a cause and effect. Um, And I very publicly on that show claimed that that's what I wanted to do. Um, And because at the time, that is all I saw for myself. It's everything that I put my effort into in a very peculiar way. I I kept pushing forward. It just was more independent and entrepreneurial than even school tells you you can do. So I won, moved to New York, rode that wave, tried really hard to be everything I wanted to be. And through that experience, I realized that I was trying to be something that I wasn't. I was trying to make clothing for, um, a cast level that I wasn't a part of my, I couldn't afford my clothing and neither could my people, quote unquote people. Um, and it wasn't working. So, um, I, and I was lucky enough to have investors that came through when I was post this show and everything crumbled and we weren't making money. Like we thought we were going to, it was too expensive. Like it it just costs so much money if you want to, especially here. Oh my God, New York! And if you want to be like a runway designer, the cost of a single show could be somebody's salary. If you're doing Mm it um, more DIY, well, at that time, that was probably the only way you did it, right? It was the only way you did it. And now, like the like my the community I came from was a lot of breaking those rules. And what I was trying to do was abide by rules, and that's never been how I rolled. Right. So. Through the loss of my own brand, um, I kind of had a different come to Jesus, where it was more a reckoning with who I really was, and what I wanted, and what I what I was really aspiring to do, and I ended up getting a job at Pendleton as their mm-hmm. fashion director, it was right after um, like a couple years after opening ceremony and done their collaboration and the the company realized that there was potential to um, be relevant and um, build out a business that was more for like the 45 and under crowd. So it was a really unique opportunity. And because I just went through the loss, I was like, well, maybe I need to go in house. And this is more like a traditional um, European way of going about things where you grow your profession through the foundation and um, support of a company which was a really incredible experience that taught me humility. It wasn't about me. It was about the business. Um, It taught me how to manage um, so many facets of the business, how to stand up for what I believed in from a creative standpoint, while also understanding that fashion is a business. It's not fine art. It has to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, design is all about serving a clientele. Um, so there's a lot of lessons there, um, and in the end, it wasn't. It, they didn't want to push as far as I wanted to go, and I ended up spending more time in the boardroom than I did in the design studio. And that's when I realized that there were very few women um, in boardrooms. Um, there are very few people under 40 in boardrooms, unless you're really talking startup, but that's a different, I see that as two different kinds of sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Big business that's youthfully led is usually in a startup space. If you're thinking about more traditional corporate, it's usually people that are like youngest boomers and up that are in the leadership space. So I realized that the language of business on the fashion side is very different. Than the language of creativity and that the real opportunity that I had was maybe to lean into like, I don't know if I believe in left brain, right brain anymore, but I believe that um, the real future for fashion um, creatives and, and industries outside of that. Is using like understanding that your responsibility is to be as business minded as you are creatively savvy. So I ended up going um, and getting my MBA at the London College of Fashion and I just graduated. Congrats again. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I went <laughs> How back to school. was it to be back? Right. Probably an adjustment.
2: It was an adjustment, especially because I'm not only a dropout, but um, it had been 15 damn years since I went to school. So like remembering how to like write academically, defend papers through research and not emotion. Those are very different things than emotionally defending your work um, from a fashion Mm designer side of things. And it really did challenge me in all the ways that I wanted to. And I thought I was going there to be a better designer, And through the experience I realized, um, through the classroom experience and how my impact, how I interacted, impacted the classroom dynamics and what the encouragement I got, I realized that what I might be or where my real um niche might be is that I'm a voice for creatives in business rather than being the creative myself. And that came through people telling me that they loved what I did when I didn't have any clothing to sell. I only had my um Instagram account. And I was like, well what do you mean? What do I do? What do I, I do that you love? And I've come over the last like six months to realize it's that I to think critically about how and why we do what we do. And that's led me to the, um, business consulting and coaching, um, company that I started about five months ago. Oh my God, that was long winded. I'm sorry.
0: No, no, it's great. I mean, obviously there's been a ton of evolution since the days of Project Runway, which I'm sure is a welcome change for you. Um, And even though so much has happened, it seems like it's happened at a nice kind of, not slow, but steady pace. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what you're focusing on now is really interesting, especially with the idea of holistic sustainability. Yeah. I didn't Um, even get
2: into what sustainability really means. Yeah. So kind of
0: using that to lead into this next question, how would you define slow content And why do you think this movement is a more sustainable alternative for both businesses who are trying to sell something and everyday people who are just consuming probably way too much content as it is?
2: Well, so when I got my start in the industry, um, do you know that documentary um, called The Corporation? No. Netflix? Um, God, I don't even know. You might have to Google it. Okay. It came out maybe Netflix has it. Um, it came out in like 2000 and it was all, it basically changed. Like I was always sustainably minded, but right. it made me look at what did corporate you think impact. of the term sustainability when you? When I was that young? Yeah. When I was 22, did I think about that? No, I think I was naturally a sustainably minded um, doer and liver.
0: Yeah. It's um, interesting that that phrase has kind of come to the forefront of these conversations when a lot of us have been kind of living it, embodying it.
2: Yeah, and I think I actually rejected it a little bit when I was younger because I grew up so rurally where that was organically a part of it, Mm -hmm. and that was part of me like, I'm a city mouse, I'm not a country mouse. (laughs) Um, And what I've come to realize is it very much (laughs) instilled the way I reflect on actions um, and impact. But when I got started, sustainability, in, especially in the fashion industry, was a bad word. I still think it is a bad word. We're stuck, like the, the psychological impacts of what that word means um, is something we're still fighting. And it might never be the right word because yeah. of where it's at. But it really meant it was more environmental. And when you look at it from an environmental perspective, that's very privileged. Mm-hmm. And when I say privileged in that context, I mean it's like a lot of white people's concerns about the environment because they get to go into it. Mm-hmm. So saving the planet through the lens of fashion um, was basically the only way we thought of, of the, the green movement. And through my experience of realized, like all of my experiences, everything that I've taken over the last 15 years of being in the industry and thinking about it from a really mindfulness lens. Um, so I think my shift into holistic sustainability really came when I started to understand that sustainability must be economic at the forefront. If it If you can't prove it's profitable, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> Part of my business education now. Um, so when you're pitching yourself as a creative you from a sustainable landscape, if you can't talk about the numbers and that they have, they can go up, it doesn't matter. Social sustainability is all about social justice, making sure your employees and the impact on people, be it the environment. Like I could go down a wormhole with um, cashmere mm-hmm. um, and how that's impacted not just um, the community but the landscape. Um they're, they're everything you, every action has a reaction. And so um, social justice is just as important. But to me, and what where I kind of came into myself, and I think like what my hook is when I think about the content and the, the bigger picture, man, you're just, this is going to be a real podcast. Yeah, this is real life, guys. Real life, guys. Um, is it also, it's at the root of it from a superficial level which is not superficial, but stick with surface, me. Surface, maybe. Yeah, surface is environmental, social, and economic. But without thinking about mental, physical, and spiritual, you're not really looking at the bigger picture. And how that relates to content is transparency. What I know it's a hook right now, authenticity. Um, There are words where they can be meaningful or meaningless right now because I think we're exploring what it really means, but content to me is where the conversation is the most powerful and impactful right now because if you're preaching um, and trying to educate, you're not actually doing the work. If you're not thinking about balance and self-care when it comes to practicing what you're preaching and then also making sure you're not, um, I just heard this term, um, emotionally anorexic. Oh
0: my God!
2: Where you're not feeding yourself in other f- ways, you're you're not um, practicing what you preach. Like if you're grinding, like when I was a fashion designer and small business, I was grinding to a place where I was barely alive because I wanted this thing so desperately. But that has nothing to do with sustainability. Right? Sustainability is is about the long game. It's not just about save the planet, save the people. It's about you and your core essence and how you communicate with the world, be it through your product, the content you create, and the life you live. And for me, I think that's kind of the sweet spot, which is why you're here. That's yeah. that's what I'm all about.
0: Yeah. And I think we share a lot of those values. And I think now we're at a place where we can kind of speak a little bit more openly, because everybody that I've talked to, at least, is super fatigued yeah. by how much content we're inundated with. and. Even and the pressure to is, Yeah. Pressure.
2: Yeah. Pressure to create content. Um, you're if you're a creative right now, you have to you are not just the maker or the designer. You yep. must be the marketer and the storyteller. Um, well that's it's interesting
0: a lot. too, because you know, you recently spoke on a panel that we produced for one of our clients, yeah. brand assembly. Um, and it focused heavily on branding and there was one thing that you said that really stuck with me and that was You really have to question if the ego is driving or desire or if you're really offering something the world that is of value and purpose. And I think this is so key. Yeah. And it's talked about a lot, but I think it's something that's much harder to implement given that we're in a landscape where sharing every award or win is almost standard. Mm -hmm. So I guess with that said, why do you think slowing down is essential so that we can actually turn these ideas and words into something that's Actionable,
2: yeah, totally. Big question, so yeah, that is a big question. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) that question's basically what I'm that's what I do, right? You know, like that's that's my sweet spot. So, even though it's a heavy question, I guess I'm a heavy person. (laughs) Um, so the way I think about it is, um, and this is also gonna age me, um, it makes me think of like check yourself before you wreck yourself, yeah. I think it's timeless Um, on all of the levels, yeah. So, to me, um If you don't start internally and understand why, like asking the so what, um, master's programs, especially criticism or critical thinking programs, are all about the so what. Have you ever heard that term?
0: Yeah. I don't know if I've heard. I mean, in this context.
2: So so what is it? Like, why do I care? Oh, right. Why should I care? Or so so why is this important to study? Or why is this an important podcast to put out? Um, It can't be because you want to. Right. It has to be valid to the greater whole. And, And I don't think that means we don't, like, I don't design anymore because I, my so what made me come to the, my reckoning was I truly believe the world doesn't need another thing. So... I designed it was a v- for very much from an ego oriented space. I wanted I I I I I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to make beautiful things. I wanted to stand as tall as I could. All of this shit. <laughs> um, and when I quit Pendleton, people kept asking like, "What are you gonna do next? And and when are you gonna do your own brand?" Again, like, are you going to make another brand? Are you going di- to design for somebody else? And I had to reckon with the fact that I truly believe like, the wrong thing to do is do one more, like, bring one more brand into the world. Um, because there are people out there that are doing a really good job. Mm-hmm. So why don't I... Why don't I see how I can use the tools that I have to better serve what's out there and help them be everything they can be rather than being another competitor. And that was about getting right with myself and how what my core values are and letting my value system lead me through to purpose. And if the purpose is about feeding the ego, you're not offering anything other than self-indulgence to the world. And, and what I meant when I said that was that it's okay to want to bring beauty into the world, it's okay to want to bring products into the world, but when you, if you're not thinking about it from a competitive advantage or that it's offering something where you see a hole um, in the marketplace or um, you understand the impact, then you're literally just thinking about yourself. And what we need right now are for people to think on a broader term to slow down and understand um, what their aspirations are in terms of the bigger picture.
0: And I think that process, too, it's not an overnight thing. So it might take a few selfish motivations to get to a place where you're like, wait, hold up, this is not sustainable for myself for yeah. the world um, so yeah, yeah I think that's just important to to recognize as well
2: totally and when it comes to content specifically be it this podcast or like how I know how I speak on my um, Instagram feed it's like I'm not doing my Instagram feed is, is like my live journal mm-hmm. it's I'm not trying to get more followers so I can validate myself as being um, worthy of Attention or accreditation or whatever—it's a way for me to communicate in a very transparent way about what I, what my life is like and and what I'm exploring. And I have it, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but I actually think that's where we're moving towards.
0: Mm-hmm. It's very More niche. More honesty. Point of view.
2: Leaning into your niche, understanding what your niche wants and 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 um, why they follow you, and then doing the best you can to stay in alignment with yourself through your mediums, be it the content that you have to create because it's in service of the product that you create, or for people like you and me, maybe it's the content we create is the thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I just, I think we're in a space now where the fatigue is really about how much of it is rooted in ego versus um, the human experience and how, sh- how much more of it is shared than not. Um.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I've gone through a shift in the last year of slowing down and kind of readjusting what's important to me, and you know, not falling trap to the thirty under thirty list yes. and posting, you know, just to be like I'm a I'm a girl boss and like that's yes. fine. There are some days and projects and moments where you that are feels a girl right. boss and you are, but hustling. just to. To perform in that way. Yes, the
2: performance. I think that's a perfect word to call out. Like the performative element of how we l- create content right now. I think will always be there. There's always going to be the performative um, people that do really well with that. But I actually think like there's a lot of people longing for honesty.
0: Yeah, and maybe just not as much.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and understand why you're on it. Like, is the wormhole because you like it? Or is the wormhole because you're in a FOMO. In the rat
0: race. Yeah. And of.
2: Totally. And to your point about like the 30 under 30, I think it's really important. Like one of the things that I speak a lot with my clients is I want people to be thinking individually about what whole, what, what like a holistic and sustainable perspective of sustainability looks like for them, um, through the lens of success. So like, Rather than everybody just assuming success, especially in the American culture, mm-hmm. um, equals fame and riches and awards and all of that, what do you want your life to look like? How do you want a day in the life to look like? What does success? How, what's your personal definition of success? And then how do you use that as kind of like the boundaries to keep yourself in check so you can create a life that you are prideful in that feels good to live? And part of my Project Runway experience was trying on a lot of what success is supposed to look like uh, and realizing that, like, that sweater didn't fit. Right. And being like, ah, shit, I think, you know, like, that was wool. I maybe want to be in cotton, like, to give <laughs> some sort of example. Like, understanding that success is internal. Yeah. And, and we hear that. And it's not overnight. It's not overnight. My mom, One of my mom's favorite sayings is, um, it, um it took uh, a lifetime to become an overnight success. And more often, like, we revere the fantasy of the savant, Mm -hmm. um, the Biebers or the Taylor Swift's of the world, but, like, a perfect fashion example would be, like, um, I don't want to say somebody who's from privilege in the same way. Like, Virgil Abelow is actually a really great example. Like, the way people talk about him, quote-unquote, bursting onto the scene that man been dedicated grinding. his whole fucking career to this. So it, it took him 15, 20 years to become the, the blow on to the scene. Yeah. So it's all about like incrementally creating benchmarks that help you feel good about the path that you're taking and then also making sure you're checking yourself on is this, does this feel good? Do I like it? Is it true to the life that I want to live in? and am organically already living? And that, to me, is what slow is all about. Am I living the life that I'm organically living with pride? And what can I do to get in better alignment with myself? And then what can I let go of that is not in service of that?
0: Amazing. You know, and I think we keep going back to this idea of slowing down, which is so important. But I think at the other end of the spectrum, there's probably going to be a lot of people who say that we just can't afford to slow down anything, given, Mm. you know, the very turbulent political and social climate that we're in and and in that regard i agree um but at the same time i also think that slowing down gives us the necessary headspace to really think about some of the harder questions that we need to be asking ourselves as business owners content creators marketers and just as good people um so we've kind of touched on this but I'd love to know if there's any one question that you wish people asked you more often, um, or if Mm -hmm. there are any of those questions that you think we need to be taking the time to
2: ask or think about. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's so good. Um, Well, two things that I pulled out of what you just said that I think are really important and what what the slowing down mean for you. To me, slowing down isn't, it's not about not living in this fast-paced world. That's a misnomer. Right. It's about thinking, taking time to think. When when your actions are done um, reactively, you're not, that's where the slowdown is missing. So I I just wanna make sure to call that out because I think that's really important. Slow doesn't mean we all need to get offline and off the grid, it means question why you're doing what you're doing, take a take a moment, breathe for a second, and then get running again. Um, when it comes to what question was I asked, um, I wish more people wanted to, I, I want more people to want to come with me in giving ourselves permission to evolve. And I think, like, part of the lessons that I think I'm here in this version of, of like, if, my, if if you're spiritual, ride with me on this. <laughs> my vessel as Gretchen Jones is only a portion of who I am. And I believe pretty strongly that like I made the circumstances arise in my life for, because that they were the lessons I needed to learn within the vehicle that is Gretchen. And Project Runway was great, but it was really more about forcing myself to look in the mirror and give my perm- myself permission to be what I really am and to say no to things that didn't fit and to be, learn humility and to be fearless in, when I'm vulnerable. And I wish more people wanted to know, uh, wanted to ask why, why I left instead of want me to think, uh, to go back in time and validate why they knew, know me and I think that's a really human error in how we attach to people's identities and um, just yesterday I was at a panel and um, this woman said um, the mystery that is attached to the identities we create for ourselves is why like dressing is so interesting how we choose to wear our hair how the ma- makeup we wear the how is it how we decorate our homes they're all in service of creating this mystery around our identity. That is a fluid thing. And I wish people were more inquisitive about why we make the choices that we make um, and why we let go of what we do um, rather than always wanting to take us back in time to what makes us comfortable right feel safe
0: so not necessarily living in the past but looking back to it and understanding how it informed how it informed where
2: we are now yeah and i think that's straight up all about slowing down and and being really curious about genuinely too genuinely curious about the people that we admire or the people we love and giving ourselves a little bit more permission to be inquisitive about the the real story, not just the story we want to be told.
0: Yeah, the true slow story. The true slow story. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And where can we find you?
2: You can find me on Instagram at at Gretchen Jones. Um, you can find me on my website, gretchenjones.co. Um, and you can find me at a workshop somewhere in the world coming towards you. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Thank you again. Absolutely, thank you.